0: what is going too far in this in this redefining gender roles in this making room for other people what's going too far in destroying the systems that have hurt other people and then destroying a system that serves a lot of other people
1: well i think you know i think it's important to bring an intersectional lens into this as well i'm right and you're wrong once you start labeling people categorizing of humans and ideas you
0: have desensitized
1: yourself to the humanity other human being to who they really are
0: And in the marketplace of ideas these things are complicated man.
1: We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints a genuine multicultural connection with
0: another. I mean sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree you just need to sit with it and digest
1: This choircast podcast episode is brought to you by me. Hi. I'm Tim, the creator and facilitator of the New Evangelicals and host of the New Evangelicals podcast, Original I Know. We are a Jesus-centered and inclusive community that holds space for the folks marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and we help people like you leave that cold, dark, and damp basement of evangelical fundamentalism behind to explore the rooms of the Christian tradition together. You can check out our podcast to hear from all kinds of amazing guests who are way smarter than me and even a few episodes where I get to rant to our podcast producer about how dangerous Christian nationalism is. Ah, good times. Check us out anywhere you get your podcasts or slide into our DMs on Instagram at The New Evangelicals. Thanks.
0: Today, hey, yeah. and welcome back to another episode of the Ideas Digest podcast where we explore the challenging ideas that divide us outside of our echo chamber in order to try and build little tiny fragile bridges between two worlds at war. That's the goal. That's the vain hope. Bring world peace, please. I'm doing my bit. I'm trying to anyway. My name's Conrad and if you're a new friend of the show, excuse my voice. It's not working properly today, but welcome. Welcome anyway. If you're a super friend, super welcome. I'm trying to dig, excavate, get my little paintbrush on those fossils, fossils of ideas. On the fossils of controversial ideas and see what sits underneath them. I think I'm always disturbing some kind of sacred site. The gods of the algorithm do not enjoy this process. As I dig and excavate and get my little paintbrush, I'm uncovering, oh, what's that? Oh, some nuance. Oh, I've found a bit of context over here. And the god of the algorithm does not approve of this. It wants me to pimp myself out for more division and more clickbait. It does not reward this behavior of nuance, understanding, and context. But, Thankfully, I have the super friends of the show who support me whilst the god of the algorithm turns its cold broad back to the Ideas Digest podcast. So, thank you so much to the super friends who get a good look at the show, behind the scenes, topics we're exploring, bonus content, what I personally think when I'm not here up on my moral, hypocritical high horse, trying to be the bastion of in the middle. Now, let's hop to our first segment Let's hear from some haters. Matt isn't here this week, so I can listen to as many damn haters as I want. He doesn't like this segment because it depresses him. But for me, I find it fun. So this hate comes in from a YouTuber, something I don't understand. I thought it was Russian, but in fact, it is a Greek now. So I can't even tell you what it says. Didn't Google translate it because you know what? Hater ain't worth my time. Uh, Except I'm talking about it now, so I guess hater is. This hater, Greek hater, says... You're kind of a bad host. Oh, my voice was like this. I would understand it if they, if they heard that. Uh, like, and then it switches into like Valley Girl. So I'm going to maybe shift up my inflection here. Like, you are suffocating the guests. OMG. You don't need to say so much. Oh, Knife dagger to the heart. That's the oh, way to make it personal. I'm just trying to be a good host. and You think I'm a bad host. Mm, how do I feel about that? Maybe I'll tell super friends how it hit me in my feelings. But... For everyone else, if you enjoy my hosting, you can leave me a review because obviously more reviews leads to more clout, more clout. And I'm discovering in this podcast land of trying to have conversations, talk to people who have exorbitant followings, they look down upon me with my measly 3K and my measly 5K over there and they go, oh, is that all you have? You are not worth my time. But with you, friends of the show, you can increase the clout of data so that we can continue to have interesting conversations with interesting people that think they're above our pay grade. They're not. I'm telling you, they're not. And we're coming for them. So thank you for your support. N- into the episode. This podcast series, Rabbit Hole, really began when I had a conversation with Common Ground Conversations, a friend of the show, Rich, about his platform and his YouTube channel. And then I and then I had a segment where I tried to convince him, because I gleaned that he was a Jordan Peterson lover, and boy, was he a JP lover. Uh, I tried to convince him to not love Jordan Peterson, and then Matt tried to convince someone to to love Jordan Peterson who didn't love them. Fun segment, check it out, YouTube videos up, and so is the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts and as I began to excavate I thought oh there's a bit of the Venn diagram kind of the two circles overlap with Jordan Peace and then there's a big contingent of this group in what I think some people are calling the manosphere who like Andrew Tate and then Andrew Tate goes and gets arrested and Conrad goes what's that God of the algorithm you want me to follow what's trending right now and I went oh okay I'll do exactly as you say so I started to explore this Andrew Tate idea and it got very interesting very quickly So quick recap, I went from Andrew Tate and uncovered some very interesting ideas. And the main one was, is there a crisis of masculinity? And I think both the stereotypical left and the stereotypical right, the progressive, the conservative, both kind of think there is this crisis of masculinity going on. And then they both deviate into different causes of it. So if you jump down the rabbit hole and you're leaning right and you're scraping down that way, they kind of blame feminism this progress as being problematic to eroding society, degrades society's culture, um, the values that has built this, this civilization. They say there's a lack of strong men, men are being feminized, they're being undercut, their place, is, their place in society has been eroded and that's harmful for society, family, and the family unit is being destroyed and then, you know, classic, you know, right wing rabbit hole, Marxism's kind of sprinkled in there loosely. I didn't go too far down there. I went, oh, that's a bit too, too, too deep. But if you want to explore that perspective a little bit, I had a great conversation with friend of the show, Will, who I found I guess if I'm going with this rabbit hole analogy, who I found resting down in this rabbit hole, uh, that episode, if you want to check it out, is called, Can You Understand Sexist Men Who Love Jordan Peterson? That was enlightening, if you want to understand that perspective. But then I crawled back up and slid down the left-hand side of this rabbit hole. And, you know, they went, yeah, yeah, there's something going on with masculinity here. So they seem to agree, something's going on. And they were looking at, society the norm uh, masculinity as it's presented the societal story around masculinity that's the problem society is telling men they have to be a certain way and men are struggling to fit this box that they're told they need to fit and that's creating some problematic outcomes for women and men themselves so they kind of diagnose men are lonely they're disconnected they can't connect with their emotions and that is problematic so if we address these societal structures about what it means to be a man and then reconnect men with their emotions i guess or reconnect men with people that might solve the problem so there i did an episode with dr helen mcbride on that one that's called is masculinity toxic you can check that out if you want to understand that perspective and i'm still kind of in here looking around poking around the masculine rabbit hole oh I don't know if I'll continue with that metaphor, but I'm still looking around, and this episode is very much in the same vein. I'm speaking today with a new friend of the show. Let me introduce to you Matt from the Man Cave Australia. Matt is a bloke that works for an organization that goes into schools, and I guess he's trying to address some of the stories around what it means to be a man and create what they call rites of passage for young boys becoming men and redefining the journey into manhood. Won't say any more. Everybody, meet Matt. Matt, thanks for joining the Ideas Digest podcast.
1: Hey Conrad, thanks for having me on, man.
0: We've just met. I hear a familiar Australian accent. That's fantastic. I know you're from Melbourne. We're walking around Brunswick Street, getting a very expensive cold drip coffee, and you took a sip, and you were like, oh, my barista's on holiday today. Ugh, this guy, I can't believe, Ugh, seven bucks, eight bucks wasted. And we bump into each other. We start chatting. I'm like, oh, Matt, it's really nice to meet you. Who are you and what do you do?
1: <laughs> I love that. That's so spot on as well. And I'm, I'm happy to gloat that my barista is one of the world's best. He-
0: oh, see, I knew it. I knew it. You coffee snob. But we-
1: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he came back with the award. Yeah, if you ran into me on the street like that, I'd say that uh, I'm a psychologist, organizational psychologist, um passionate adventurer and always looking for the next the next challenge Um, and really like more broadly i'm here to basically challenge some of our systems challenge the way we do things challenge the status quo um and create new ways create another way of doing things so that we can you know step out of these stereotypes whether it's masculinity gender anything really just so we can be our full selves Obviously, Matt was a gracious,
0: perfect Ideas Digest guest. And so I judged the crap out of him. Great intro. It's really nice to meet you. But Matt, I'm an honest guy. And I'm going to be honest with you a little bit. I've, I judged you off the bat just being a moment. I'm like, this guy is a coffee snob. And I hit the nail on the head. Matt, will you allow me? I've just met you. I've heard a little bit about you. I've heard what you do. Will you allow me to just confess, get off my chest some of the judgments that I might have about you as a person as we've just met? And I would appreciate it if you could say, Conrad, that's not true. Or oh, that one actually is true. Just to get me on the right path for a, a good nuanced conversation down the road. How's that sound? I love that. Go for it. Here on Artie's Digest, we've created three categories of people and I didn't know which one to put you in at the beginning. So we've got like the average punter. You know, that's people just tuning in, just we're just walking through life, doing our jobs and we see issues arise and we just go, oh yeah, I think this, I think we're just having a punt, right? And then there's people which I definitely comfortably fit in this category. I'm a pseudo intellectual. I, I listen to a podcast and I think I'm super smart about something. I'm like, hey, oh, I know I listened to this one economics podcast. No, I'm really smart. That's me. I'm a pseudo intellectual. I'm not quite there yet. But Matt, I feel like I've heard a few words that got to place you comfortably snug in the actual academic box is, is that where you fit in this like piece of paper certified is there a piece of paper behind you are you just this academic you know ivory tower almost kind of guy <laughs>
1: uh i think in some ways yes and in many other ways no i'd say um i really ha- i love the academic side i love the research side but i'm also um a bit of a what would i call it? i'm a bit cheeky i like challenging the institutions I like challenging the way we do things I'm a Gemini if you're an astrologer. so Oh, no, but I'll add it to the list. Yeah, add it to the list. So I also love, you know, I follow the moon, astrology, the stars, what's going on out there. And so, like, there was the more spiritual intuitive side. And then there's the academic (laughs) evidence-based side. So you'll get both sides with me.
0: (laughs) Okay, you've broken some some stereotypes. And so I'll, I'll go through a few. And I would not have guessed into astrology. Friends of the show, fire through any judgments for Gemini's. I need to do some homework on on how to judge Geminis. Let me go with my next one. Matt, you've got to be an atheist. Uh, I would say yes and spiritual. You're in Melbourne. Your barista's the best in the world. You must have voted Greens at the last election. That's a yes. I'm good. All right, that means this next one, you're this... Pretty over-the-top, woke SJW kind of guy. What is SJW? Oh, that's, th- that's the right-wing slur for social justice warrior. Oh, It's like a bad word for the right-wing. They're like, oh, you're a bloody SJW, and you're like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd say I'm
1: more pragmatic. I wouldn't go that far.
0: You're talking about masculinity, you know, trying to change um, stories around what a, what a strong man is, things like that. Sounds to me like you're one of these guys that wants to glorify weakness, just promote weak people, weak
1: men. <laughs> oh, geez, these are some curly ones. I'd say no. Okay, no, excellent. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Am I allowed to
0: comment, or is that it? I, I that one we will come back to. That one we will come back to. One more. You got to be a man-hating feminist.
1: <laughs> no.
0: But that now you've got to be an oversensitive guy, like a snowflake kind of guy. <laughs>
1: I can be, yeah. Oh, sorry, okay. I'm a recovering people pleaser slash a recovering nice guy. That's what I've been thinking okay. of myself recently. So...
0: Um, Thanks for correcting those judgments that, you know, friends of the show I might have had really puts it on the right track. Never would have guessed this guy's a Gemini really, you know, dabbling in the sensitive space, but recovering from it. What judgments I suppose do you get in the line of work that you're doing or you face kind of day to day? Did I miss any? Did I hit any that you normally get? And did I miss any?
1: Uh, I mean, they were awesome. And there's so many of those that I hadn't heard before. I think, um... Probably also, you know, this idea that um, with all of the stuff that I'm doing, like all men are wrong. It's like, that's a judgment. It's like we're trying to transfer out the whole thing. That's a bit. um, Also, I guess because of the spirituality, then I also love sport and also love the academic side. Like There's a whole mixing pot. And so I've sometimes been um, just, I'm just a, can be a confusing individual for other people because there's so few different things going on I mm. mean, they yeah. all like these i've just got so many different passions there's so much there's so much in life to enjoy well, yeah. i kind of have them all that's kind of how yeah, i feel yeah, yeah. so hey we'll try and box me in i'm like no no but then there's also this and that and this and that so
0: yeah um i'm an atheist that is a gemini that's a good contradiction <laughs>
1: yeah exactly
0: let's say I like to paint these scenarios. It's late night, it's 11 p.m. at night. I'm flicking I'm flicking TV, Netflix is broken and I've only got the, the antenna that's tracking in the mainstream TV that everyone forgot existed. And I come across a shopping channel and that people are trying to sell me stuff. And Matt, I come across you and you're on there selling me something. You know, you're like, but wait, I've got another product for you. Stick around, this one's gonna be great. What would that be if you had something to sell me and maybe friends of the show that would make my life better or an idea that I could change that would improve or something I could accept that might expand my worldview? What might that idea be?
1: Yeah, I just love how much you're just going for this. All right. Um, (laughs) My idea would be um, if you want to fully love yourself and have a really satisfying and fulfilling life, here's a journal that's going to help you guide yourself back to loving all parts of yourself unconditionally understanding and knowing your values and then creating meaning in your life. It's $300, but it's life changing. Uh, Well, I'm dialing,
0: I'm dialing the phone now. Tell me, tell me a bit more about, I suppose that idea, what you do and how you fit in with, with this idea.
1: Yeah, well, I think a lot of the work, a lot of the work I've done with Man Cave and with my personal life has been very much in parallel the last few years. And so I've been on my own healing and integration journey while also building an organization that's <clears> all about doing that for young men.
0: Tell me, tell me, I suppose, about the Man Cave bit. People will be unfamiliar with that. And then weave in, I suppose, your parallel journey with that. That'd be awesome.
1: Yeah, great. Cool. Um, so Man Cave is a preventative mental health and emotional intelligence charity that's based in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Um, and we started in 2014 because we looked at the statistics around depression, suicide, gender-based violence. And we wanted to understand, well, wh- where's all this coming from? And when we looked into it, we realized it was coming from internalized belief systems around what it means to be a man that weren't serving young men. And there was no one really educating them or giving them advice or, you know, healthy rites of passage into adulthood. So we created it. And with that, we created a full day workshop that was designed to create safe space for boys to connect with role models, our facilitators, and give them permission and tools to talk openly. And that was eight years ago. We've now delivered that program and many others to 40,000 young men across Victoria, New South Wales, and different parts of Australia. And really what it comes down to is creating healthy rites of passage for teenage boys into adulthood. That gives them a connection to themselves and ability to express their emotions, connection to their mates, and also really getting clear on who they are and what they're here to do and um, getting them connected to purpose, all to try and prevent what we see happen later down the line, which can be suicide or gender-based violence or other harm towards themselves or mm-hmm. others. So the thing I loved about man when I first came across it is that it's strengths-based as well. And it's about like, how do we help men be their best as opposed to try and fix the problem or um, you know prevent the crisis.
0: hmm mm-hmm. sounds like you've diagnosed there's something going on with men, potentially not genetically, but societally or the story of men or masculinity that is contributing to these severe statistics in suicide and domestic violence.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the statistics are that, you know, seven men in, a, in Australia you know, a week take their life and that suicide is the leading cause of death for young men. So it's not drink driving. It's not, you know, a drunk punch in the street. It's not a sharp attack. It's nothing else. Young men are the biggest killers of themselves. And then we also see in the statistics that every week a woman is killed at the hands of an intimate partner. And that's 95% of the time, a man. So we're seeing a lot of harm being caused by men um, towards themselves and to others. And really what underpins it is a belief system that they can't talk openly, that they have to be strong, be tough, show no emotion. You know, there's been some studies on this around the man box and what this idea of the man box is. And this is really about, you know, being heterosexual, being physically strong, being sexually active, being able to provide... And I think the important thing is that some of that stuff is important. Like we actually do need men that are happy to be independent, happy to be strong, you know, do have a healthy sex drive, whatever it is, but they also need to not take that too far or feel like that's all they can be. And so when men Mm -hmm. feel like they're stuck inside this man box, their mental health outcomes, you know, their behavior towards themselves and others are far worse. And so rather than trying to address the symptom, we want to address the cause and the cause is really, this belief system. Well, what does it mean to be a man? And there's no one really educating us on this at school. We sort of just have to work it out for ourselves. I don't know what it was like for you at school, but it was, for me, it was like putting on the arm every day, going to school, just trying to survive.
0: Mm. So that man box that you mentioned is that it sounds like that's the story that men and boys are told growing up about what it means to be a man. What are those, I suppose, problematic story structures that you seem to have like be addressing with the man cave going into schools, trying to change some of what kids are picking up to go, okay, it means this is what it means to be a man. Are you, are you actively trying to change that script?
1: Yeah. A lot of what we do really revolves around creating safety for the boys to talk openly about what their experience is. So we'll talk about this idea of a good, the good man versus a real man. You know, what what are the traits of a good man? Well, he's he's honest, he's respectful, he's trustworthy. What are the traits of a real man? Well, he drinks beer, you know, goes to the pub, goes to the footy. You know, there's more um, macho sort of values. We say, who feels pressure to be a real man? And, um, you know, most of the time, all their hands go up and they go, yeah, I feel pressure to be a real man. Okay, great. So now that we've recognized we all feel like we're a part of this story, what's the impact of that? And the impact of that, that every time in a workshop gets shared with us and exercises like that is well, I feel like I can't be myself. I can't share who I, who I really am. I can't share some of the challenges I'm going through. There's a whole raft of challenges that boys are holding back because they feel like they have to be putting on that bravado and the um, unfortunate and also ironic thing about it is once they get talking, they realize they're all in it together, but they just never had mm-hmm. the conversation before. So I was at a workshop mm-hmm. um, last year and we are running at what's called a check in circle. And we had the boys sitting around in a circle and they're able to check in openly and talk about how they're feeling sometimes for the first time in front of their mates. And this boy checked in and said, Hey, Jack checking in. um, I really miss my dad. He lives on a farm up in East Wales. I don't get to spend much time with him and I just really miss him. And he says, I'm checked in and sort of checked in just as he was starting to cry and I could see he was emotional. And for me, it was less about him talking and more about crying and actually releasing the emotion and it being okay. And so I asked the rest of the boys in the room, who else misses their dad? You know, we're at a boarding school. All their hands go up. And I just said to Jack, hey, mate, look around. Like everyone else is struggling with the same thing. And he's Mm -hmm. like, I I thought I was the only one. Like, no, you're not the only one. Everyone's going through this. So a lot of it for boys like Jack, uh, it's about recognizing that they're not the only ones going through some of these challenges. And they don't have to pretend that everything's all good. They can actually share it. And this is where they have the paradox of vulnerability and authenticity. In sharing his vulnerability, one, he increases his connection and respect with these mates. But two, he also ends up feeling stronger because he's not trying to hide something, Um, which is, I think, one of the other stories that we're taught as men is is to sort of hide and be, be tough. But I think like more broadly, just to like speak to it, it is a confusing time because we are getting mixed messages. We're getting this be tough and be a man. And we're also getting this, oh, but also open up. And we've been going through really post Me Too movement the last eight to ten years. This kind of confusing space of, okay, so what does it mean to be man? We know we've we've messed up. We're hearing all these Me Too stories. How do we step back in? How do we step back in courageously?
0: You don't want to you know oversimplify any of any of these sorts of things. But are you saying that there's this disconnectedness amongst young males and men in general that are leading? Is is it the disconnection, the loneliness, and the isolation? that is leading to problematic outcomes specifically for men because they feel as if they have to project a certain image and that requires them to disconnect from certain emotional conversations, certain vulnerable conversations that connect them with the boys around them that have to just kind of have a charade on to be what you're saying is a real man. Sounds like you're trying to normalise and make it okay for men to have the sorts of conversations that we would... I suppose, be ridiculed for or be labeled a girl for or kind of be put down as not being a real man if you're engaging in that. Is that kind of a summary of what you're doing there?
1: Beautiful summary, man. Yeah. And I think um, it's creating that permission, it's creating that space. It's really, it's about creating that experience. You know, creating the experience of I am safe here. I can talk about what's really going on. And then mm-hmm. boys, you know, it's the same for all of us, but our our emotional system deregulates Yeah. So I think that's, that's part of it is creating the experience of psychological safety. Um, But I think the point that you said is really important as well, because there's kind of this chicken or egg argument that we get into, which is okay. So does a young man or a man feeling depressed and isolated or disconnected lead to depression or does that precede it? And the answer is it's both Um, this idea that you have to be strong by yourself is something that can be internalized. Then not having the experience of a safe space to talk can then exacerbate that and then that leads to further feelings of isolation which can lead to a bit of a downward spiral and feeling of um you know being by yourself and that's um that's the thing that's concerning and that's the thing we're trying to address and we're trying to do it in a positive way as well i think because <clears throat> approaching it from like from the negative way doesn't really work we've tried that many times and i think it's important to recognize as i said before we're, we're really in this period of flux. We're in this inflection point for masculinity. We can't go back to the way things were, but we also don't quite know where we're going yet, which is why some okay. of the characters like Jordan Peterson, Andrew Tate, cut through because they have clarity about what it looks like to move forwards in life. And so, mm-hmm. you know, Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life. Great. Well that's giving me clarity about what I need to do in my life. Which is not to say that I support him or support his work necessarily, but it's more like how do we look at what is going on in the space and maybe what some of the symptoms are that are telling us about the story that's happening for men. Mm
0: -hmm. Tell me more about where men get this story and this prevalence and popularity of people like Jordan Peterson, who's someone who is offering advice for men, very popular amongst men. Um, A lot of men credit their lives being changed by reading his book and listening to his message. And then you know, in a, in a way only similar in the sense that hyper-popular and probably super popular amongst like kids that you're doing your workshops with, Andrew Tate. What is a, your diagnosis of the popularity of figures like that? And you can separate them or pull them together, whichever, however you see it.
1: Yeah, well, I'll maybe I'll speak to Andrew Tate because we just released research on him and we spoke to 1,300 boys last year and asked them, How many of you know Andrew Tate? 92% late last year knew who Tate was before his Romanian arrest and he sort of was on the mainstream media. And then we also asked them, um, you know, do you relate to him and do you look up to him? And the results they came back with was a third of boys related to Andrew Tate, um, but only a quarter looked up to him. And when we asked them about the reasons, they said, well, I connect with his views on drive, motivation, fitness, health, um, how to live a good life, and that he also feels like he's defending masculine values in men. And the boys that didn't really connect with him or didn't agree with him felt like he was misogynistic and sexist, um, that his attitudes and belief systems were harmful. And of on the other side, felt like he was perpetuating toxic masculinity. So there was also a really interesting group in there that felt split, which they said, you know, there was about 10% that said, look, yeah. I agree with some stuff, but not with others. So I think with people like Tate, you know, if we don't even go down their social media rabbit hole and how and why he maybe got to where he is, Mm -hmm. um he's providing them with some clarity he's representing um a version of masculinity that maybe hasn't been so welcome in the last five to ten years and he's giving them some answers about how to live their lives where outside of that it's actually been quite a confusing space for a lot of these young guys uh Mm. so people like tater like that and then you know the social media space you know these young guys the young people are just online all the time and being fed stuff through the algorithm just to capture their attention so naturally someone that is a bit more outspoken, a bit more um, direct is probably going to catch more eyeballs. And I think he's capitalized on that.
0: Okay. So, so characters like that offer clarity because there's confusing messages for men as they go through life. They're being, there's the me too movement that can be interpreted as like, oh, all men are the problem. They're all these sexist predators and, and men have to be more vulnerable, have to be these sorts of things. And I guess, people might internalise that as, as an attack on men and then figures like Jordan Pearson coming out, like you were saying, are defending masculine traits, Andrew Tate's unapologetically hyper-masculine with the cars, the women, the lifestyle he promotes, the messages he says, the motivation, the brute force masculinity of accomplishing your dreams and money and things like that. It sounds like, is, it, is that almost like acting as some kind of apologetics as boys are growing up is there a vacuum that these voices are filling or are these voices compelling by the message of their own right? Like would would their message carry as much potency if the space that they're occupying was filled with, I suppose, like stuff that you're doing and almost, it sounds like, are you competing? Are you providing a competing product for Andrew Tate in a sense?
1: Mm, yeah, cool. Yeah. It's a really good question. Is there a void or is it actually just a compelling voice in general? I think the main thing is you know, a lot of boys that maybe connect with Tate or connect with other topics, there's no space for them to talk about it. And so they will keep it inside their circle or they will not talk about it at all because when they do talk about it, they are made wrong or it's not welcome Um, or they're worried they might get cancelled or just get in trouble. So the main issue I see is that there isn't a space where it's welcome to talk about this stuff and so, for boys that do connect with him, they kind of connect together and they stay together, um, which can then reinforce some of the pack mentality that we can see with boys in schools. Um, but I think there is a void. And I think that's important to talk about as well. You know, we're in this post World War II era, this post Me Too era. Um, we're moving into a very different way of working as well. Like you're hanging out in Bali, I'm in Melbourne, we're doing a podcast. That's, things are very different now to what they were 10 years ago when I went through school and we're seeing young people trying to adapt and keep up with it and that's pretty bloody challenging so i think there's also this void of meaning and a lot of the old values that we built our lives on they're not as relevant anymore and we haven't yet defined these new sets of values and so it's still, I, i'm confused i'm a 31 year old guy i'm still trying to work it out myself you know how does a 15 year old stand much of a chance um mm. along with every all the other pressures he's got trying to grow up as well so i think there is a void and i think people like Tate are feeling that void. Um, but I think it's important as well. Like, yes, Tate's a new figure, but, you know, without trying to pull any names out of a hat, I'm thinking back to the early YouTube days. <laughs> mm-hmm. There has always been characters that have taken up space and there's always been characters that have captured attention and not everyone's agreed with them. I think Tate's mm-hmm. just the latest one um, rather than trying to, you know, cancel him. It's like, how do we actually mm-hmm. work with this?
0: The the void that potentially is talking about may not necessarily be just as small as a void around what it is to be a man, but potentially a larger void in society—a a lack of meaning—and these people offer the answer to the questions they have around meaning, and the answer is them—is the story of masculinity, which affirms some level of someone's identity and who they are and what they need to be, because it's quite a simple script of going, "Well, you're a man, and now here's a story, and now that ticks that larger book." Up box I suppose we're all trying to fill um, in a fast changing society which is that that box of meaning and I I feel like here we get to potentially a level of you, you know I judged you half accurately as you know this ivory tower academic with books and research papers and he can read citations and he knows what different referencing styles look like but take me into I guess the like the academic lens that you you're also seeing this from so you're you're creating programs that Take findings and make something practical out of it. Let's talk about this. Let's reconnect kids. Let's show you know a new way of being boys and men together. But w- where does that come from? From your academic, you said you were a soci- social psychologist or a societal. Organizational Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> all right, even better. So I guess take me into into that realm, like into that ivory tower of going, here are the research, here are the studies, here is what society's going on. Like what's what's going on in society and I guess organizations that are potentially contributing to this or something?
1: Yeah, I did my research um, in my psych studies on gender and was interested to look at how is gender impacting the way we can show up as leaders slash as people in our lives. And some really interesting stuff that came through in that. So, you know, we have got gender stereotypes and we've got stereotypes in general, which are ways that we make sense of each other. So, you know, there's ways that we stereotype each other so that we can engage and work out. You know, we've got a common set of values now because we both know we're Australian men. And so there's a bunch of assumptions that you and I can make about our understanding, like coffee and being a coffee stop in Melbourne. That helps us relate to each other. Um, what the challenge is, is g- gender is one of the most obvious um identities of a person. So I look at you and I can most likely, and I, this has also changed to do my research, can tell whether you're a man or a woman. And then I also got, now i have got the gender landscape has changed and see so now I've got non-binary and so, and all the other expressions of gender. So that landscape's changed a bit, but when we look at that from a gender stereotype perspective, post world war two in the Western world, we had really clear definitions of your role as a man or a woman, as a man, your role was to be the breadwinner, to get a job, to have a good career to provide for your family. And as a woman, your role was to be at home, to look after the children, to raise a family. That was great in the sense that it provided a lot of clarity and it was really clear about what your expectations were. It wasn't great when it came to freedom of expression. Maybe you didn't want to do that. Maybe you didn't want to provide. Maybe as a man, you actually felt more feminine and you wanted to be at home with the family. Maybe as a man, you didn't want to be in a long-term career and you actually wanted to run footless fancy forever to Byron Bay, India, wherever. But that wasn't welcome as well. It was very much outside the norm. So then post-World War II, we very much had this generational value system installed in us, especially in Australia, around security and safety, which you could say almost underneath it has a foundation of fear. How do we make sure we keep ourselves safe? As we've moved through the um, late 1900s and then also into the early 2000s, things have changed again with the introduction of the internet and then also they've started to shift in terms of gender norms. And so what's expected of me as a man has changed. What's expected of me as a woman is changing. And some of that's really positive. We've had third wave feminism come through, which is that, hey, women's rights are really important. And this this whole space, and I'm not going to talk to that because I'm not a woman, obviously, but this whole space in the last 10 years of reconsidering what it means to be a woman and therefore also reconsidering what it means to be men because it's all related. We can't look at them in isolation. Um and so when it comes to, you know, where this comes from, very often we'll get this from our elders, from family members, around what what our, what our value systems are, what our, what our role in society is in terms of our gender and any other cultural um, or any other identity systems that we're connected to, say culture, language, et cetera, especially in Australia, um, is if we don't have that, we then create it for ourselves and we generally defer to the stereotype. So we look to social media, we look to TV, we look to people around us that we look up to and we'll copy them. And this is especially the case for teenagers. And so the, the main thing that's missing for me, dude, that I think we need to have more of is rites of passage, initiations, processes where young people can go through a challenging experience, understand who they are, connect to the people around them and then have a really clear definition of what their values are, what they believe in and um, where they're where they're going in their life the the role gender plays
0: in how we relate to one another and that and the roles that and the meaning and purpose we derive from something that we don't really notice like gender um has shifted and changed and that's created what like more options but those more options of what it means to be a man or woman you can be a house husband you can be a bricky, um, laboring woman, you can, you know, the, the options are out there. We've broken a lot of these stereotypes of what it means. So you there are the options there. People might still deviate to some kind of stereotype um, if it suits them. But it sounds like because of um, this, this, lands, this gender landscape is changing, it's left a lot of people confused or without meaning or without purpose because it sounds as if most people historically – found their purpose much more easier by just reverting to the stereotype of what it means to be a man. They can look up most men are the kind of same. Whereas now they look and they go, Oh, I could be this kind of man, this kind of man, I could do this. I could do, I don't, I don't know what to do now. I'm not the sole provider. I'm a a bit lost. Does that sound about right? Of like, I suppose a societal diagnosis.
1: Yeah. I think it sums it up really well. And I think to add to it as well, there's, you know, we've also had uh, women in many ways, tech, Uh, control over their lives and wanting to be more independent and less reliant on men because they in some ways have felt let down by them men have then also tried to adapt as well and then have moved more towards the feminine side of things and tried to be more sensitive and and caring and and these these aren't bad things it's just meant that in some ways we've almost reversed gender roles and we've ended up in this confused state where men are maybe more feminine and women are more masculine and uh, we're sort of I think going through a period of overcorrection or correction um which is really it's all just in service of evolution and growth and how are we moving th- towards the next set of roles that are really going to support us um mm-hmm. but it is a confusing time and I think it's important to name that also having just come out of a global lockdown for two years um we're still integrating um some of the challenges we went through during that rite of passage and um you know, some of what I share, people just won't agree with, and that's okay. Um, but I think it's important that we recognize we are in this challenging period where the previous definitions are not serving us anymore. We're trying to find these new sets. But you summed it up really well, dude. Yeah.
0: I guess it's interesting to hear that you, you did your study uh, on on gender and its role because mate, that is the flashpoint. The culture war, Sky News, Fox News, like rage point, especially in America, this is this is almost the new abortion type issue that splits political allegiances and it's around gender the story of whether this new movement this new what's one side will call progress what another side will call deviation from the correct path the dividing line is gender itself and whether these new scripts that you're talking about whether they're actually good or whether they're actually harmful for society what then is people like people listening might go Uh, yes everything you're saying is happening you know men are getting more effeminate and that's a bad thing and women are getting more masculine and that's a bad thing and men are losing their place in society and they're being downtrodden and they're getting stepped on and they're getting you know vilified because you know because of a few sexual predator kind of men now all men are like this and the landscape that you paint can be instantly seen as this is progress for women they're being liberated they've got more freedom they can leave a man if they need to they're more independent this is this is great or it's the act it's like the apocalypse for men and meaning and purpose what's your diagnosis then of that political culture war situation is this progress bad or is it good <laughs>
1: uh is it bad or is it good? I would say, I would say it is necessary in the sense mm-hmm. that, I mean, I think we're always looking to evolve. And I think this is the next sort of one of the major things we're evolving through at the moment is how we organise ourselves around gender. I think the main thing I think about is who is it impacting and how is it impacting them? And the reason we've gone through this is because um, women have been really negatively impacted by the behaviour of men for many years. And men have been really negatively impacted by the behavior of men for many years. Um, Men have felt very unsafe around other men for many years. And that's impacted everyone. So I think it's a necessary rearrangement. I do think that we need to be careful of not going to exchange too quickly and understanding where people are coming from. And so what I mean by that is like fair enough that women have taken more control back over their lives. Fair enough that men have adjusted as well. Fair enough that some people love that and some people don't. Um, More to the point is recognising that the way we were doing things wasn't working. It was leading to suicide and gender-based violence quite a lot and we want to address that. So what do we need to do to address that? Well, we need to challenge the stereotypes we live in individually and collectively so that we can evolve and remove that from the way we relate to each other. Um, But we're also in this stage, at least is what it feels like to me, where it's maybe going more philosophical, less academic, where Mm. we're really coming into a space of wanting to, you know, even psychology, for example, has changed a lot. It used to be very much about talk therapy. Now, in the last 10 years, it's become much more about somatic therapy. How do I connect to my body? What trauma do I have Mm. in my body? Um, And through that process, we're also connecting back more to our heart, to our body, to our gut, to our mind and then relating to each other in different ways as well. So we're going through this process of evolution, even just around how we do therapy and how we heal. And then we're also going through this process of changing how we relate to each other. You know, The idea of a conscious relationship was a foreign idea even five years ago, let alone 10. Um, So there's a lot of change in this space. And I think all of it, the more that we can come back to unconditional self-love, connecting to our values, connecting to our heart, and then serving and doing what is best for the community and those around us, we're going to be in a much better place. So maybe it doesn't answer your question specifically, but I'm mm. trying to start to create a roadmap for us in terms of how we move forwards.
0: Yeah, and what I'm seeing in that roadmap is you're saying, let's not focus on the like some higher moral measuring stick of old, you know, the conservative would say it was better back then. Let's go back to how it was. And the progressive goes, well, how it is now is horrible. We need to move forward. And in the future is this perfect utopia. But it sounds like you're going, okay, if we come into the, the challenges of the moment, which I feel like you're giving quite a heavy weight to. And it's almost like, in a way, validating many of the fears that people who might oppose the you know changes of definitions, the movement, the progress of LGBT rights, the progress of feminists and women in society in the workplace. They might look at that and go, this is bad. It sounds like you're painting a picture where you are almost assisting people to understand there's actually some massive societal tectonic plates shifting. And you're saying that's it's a necessary shift because as we come and look at people and we go, hey, uh, women, young girls, um, older women, how is this impacting you? Hey, members of LGBT, how is this impacting you? Oh, this is hurting you in these ways. Okay, how do we make room in our society for these people? But in order to make room, it sounds like these changes are quite larger than I think people perhaps give them credit for. And then it almost helps us understand the pushback would be understandably quite high if these massive shifts are as large as you're describing it. And the roadmap you're saying is, well, let's continue to look at if we can agree that if we continue to look at people focal point and come to people and say, how is this impacting you? Let's make life better for you. Um, if we keep coming back to that, then we can start to move step by step. Progress for all people as being a helpful measuring stick as to where we should move forward in the future
1: yeah and i think i think as well that we can't fall into a trap of trying to please everyone it's, it's just right. not going to happen it's just i just don't think it's possible but um you know there's this idea as well as that uh equality to the privilege feels like oppression and the reality is we're having a lot of light on on privilege that's existed in the world be it financial um be it you know colonialism and um you know what's happened in the last couple hundred years especially in australia we still have a lot of work to do in terms of respecting and integrating with our indigenous first nations people here um is there's a way we're having a lot of the privilege that we've been afforded and like myself i've had to look at my own privilege as a white middle class heterosexual man that's pretty much got the golden ticket um for modern society in terms of Um, biases and different things is how am I being privileged in my position and how do I then rather than feel guilty about it how do I then turn it into how do I create platforms for others how do I use um, the position that I am in society to give back as best as I possibly can um, so that everyone can benefit but we don't want to fall into the trap of like I don't think trying to make everyone happy because ultimately it's it's a very difficult thing to do and there's always going to be someone that's that's not in the right place so i think and this is like this is an open conversation conrad and this as well like i don't really know how we might solve that you now we're talking about a pretty big idea now we're talking about how do we navigate global change
0: mm-hmm. and
1: the honest answer is i don't know i don't know mm-hmm. how we make everyone happy and how we evolve through this what i do know is that evolution is inevitable and what i do know is mm-hmm. that the idea of going back is not going to serve us so how do we evolve mm-hmm. forwards? How do we how do we integrate those new ideas? And one of the things that served me has been you know, rites of passage frameworks or processes that have helped me grow. Um, another thing that's helped me is community. Another thing that's helped me is knowing myself through meditation, journaling, um, connecting to my values, connecting to my friends and family, understanding my lineage, understanding the intergenerational trauma and history that exists in my family line. I think we're connecting mm-hmm. far more to these holistic ideas of understanding ourselves, um, especially as we've moved away from institutions like the church. Uh, so yeah, I think it's, it's we're talking about some pretty big topics um, and I'll admit that I don't have the answers to all of it. I
0: wanted to, like in all Ideas Digest interviews, I wanted to understand Matt as a person, how did he get here? What's his worldview that leads him to think this way? So here is me excavating his personal journey. Talk to me about your journey to this space because you're, you're, you're in a space where you're going, I want to make the world a better place. I want to use the privileges and the, the things I've been handed in my life to help make the playing field a bit more level for those around me. Talk to me about your journey. Did you always think this way or did something, was there a gateway drug idea that opened this landscape up for you?
1: Yeah. No, I didn't always think this way. <laughs> um, when I was younger, I was very much the world I came from. It was get a, get a job, get a degree um, you know, earn as much money as I can buy a home, get married, have kids. And that was sort of the script that I was given. Um, but you know, throughout my twenties, I did lots of different challenges. I, um, I did a Vipassana, you know, 10 day silent meditation retreat to sort of go and try and find myself. Um, you know, I did triathlons and different things. The main thing that really shifted for me was I did this trip to Everest base camp, Mount Everest base camp. And on that trip, one of the guys in my group passed away from a heart attack and there we were left up in the himalayas you know day before getting to base camp the top of the world and then also just have this you know really sad experience of one of our friends dying and we ended up finishing up the trek with just four of us because everyone else got helicopters back to Kathmandu, and it was on the news and you know we did that last two days of the hike in one day ended up being 43 kilometers i went to vietnam we started doing yoga sort of had some time to decompress And I remember just thinking to myself, if I die tomorrow, you know, what's my life going to mean? And I started reading things like Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a Vietnamese Buddhist monk, who's incredible and realizing, you know, his, his main thing that I took from him was he said, how is your life, your message, rather than me having to ask what your values are and ask what you believe in, how do I pay attention to what you do and who you are and how you treat others as your message of your life? And that's how he lived his life. So when I came back, I was working in corporate consulting in Big Four in Melbourne and was connected to the Man Cave um, through some social impact spaces in Melbourne and decided, I want to do something that's going to have, make a difference. And when I have children, I want them to, to see that I'm living my full authentic life and that I'm trying to do a difference, make a difference at the same time. And mm-hmm. so I left corporate, went into Man Cave and decided to, you know, basically, I guess, tap out of the system at that point and really want to make a difference to how we're living our lives. Um, and then, you know, without going into all the detail, that wasn't the end of it. A relationship that I thought was the woman I was going to be married to realized that was with the wrong person and wasn't working. Um, I then almost went back into corporate and then connected back to my values again through, um, a really beautiful retreat experience and then, you know, stayed at man cave. So it hasn't been a linear path by any means. And it's actually been a very confronting one of having to let go of a lot of things that I wanted and hope for. And like, I'm in the middle of that happening again in my life. Uh, so yeah, it's like the main thing it's come back to is service. You know, when I look mm-hmm. back at the, the one through line, it's like, how am I serving? How am I giving and how I'm I mm-hmm. make it not about myself as much as possible. The mind, the ego wants to grab everything and, and be safe and, and prevent mm-hmm. us dying. But the body, the soul, the spirit, the heart wants to, wants to give. Um, so mm-hmm. a lot of my personal journey has been around, you know, doing some more healing work and learning Vedic meditation, and doing internal family systems therapy, and um, going on retreats that allow me to connect back to nature, so that I can be more of myself and then give more of myself at the same time. It's
0: quite a fascinating journey for you to articulate, as, as there's some levels of like suffering, trauma, challenging experience that have sh- that's that's shifted your worldview to realise the value of your life is in what you can do to or the values that you hold in life is what you can do to help other people and what's your life going to mean if it's not contributing and to making other people's lives better and this sounds like i, I think for very for many christian friends of the show a very foreign concept because many of the stereotypes christians will have about atheists is going well as nihilism there is no purpose there is no meaning they'd be they'd say matt where do you where do you get your values from like you, you're saying you have these values reconnecting with yourself, but there's no God, there's no nothing out there. There's no script that you have to live your life by. Like why bother spending it helping people? Why bother, you know, you can do whatever you want. There's no me, there's no ultimate meaning and purpose. So the question they would ask is going, where do you get your, your values from? If not somewhere else out there, some script in the universe, some ultimate larger thing or purpose that we're supposed to be a part of.
1: Yeah, I think... Um... I think I found it through a few areas. So I think, honestly, a lot of it's been through uh, self-exploration, connection to self. And and I, I guess this is more of the spiritual f- philosophical side of me is going through understanding myself and through connecting back to myself, I connect back to universal wisdom. Things like Vedic meditation allow me to connect back to the field of oneness, connect back to consciousness, connect back to the unified field of what connects us all. Now, these are bigger topics that are very much sitting outside of this conversation around masculinity. But in terms of my journey, that's been something that's helped me is connecting through meditation and understanding myself. And then the other thing as well, I think this is more pragmatic, is I've got a lot of my values from the community that I surround myself with as well. Um, Mm -hmm. It hasn't necessarily been through a connection to God or or any sort of holy text. Um, One book that has guided me has been The Tao Te Ching, which was written 2,500 years ago by Lao Tzu, And is a series of 81 poems that are very simple ways of just living life. And really, when you look at it, it comes down to just how does energy flow and Mm -hmm. how how do things on a physics level kind of work? And then how do you work with that and go with the flow of life as opposed to trying to fight it? Um, So Mm -hmm. a lot of my learnings around my values and how I want to live my life have very much come from exploring my own inner world, connecting to nature, you know, and even just observing how does a tree grow? Okay, how do I emulate how that tree grows? Okay, well, you know, we know a lot more about fungi than we used to. And, you know, mushrooms are pretty incredible in terms of how they grow in forests. What can we learn from them? And then I think the big challenge that we have as current human society is our disconnection from nature. You know, we are nature, but we've created structures like houses and buildings and apartment blocks and whatever else that makes us feel like we're not a part of it. Um, And that, unfortunately, means we're disconnected from this idea of having to change and grow and evolve. Um, but the more I've connected back to nature, the more that I've felt more connected and at peace with them to shift and change. So I'd say that's another place that I've really pulled it from. Um, but yeah. I still believe in a God and I still believe in the goddess. You know, for me, God is the creator. God is the sun. God is is this this esoteric energy of, of evolution. And the goddess, the great mother, you know, mother earth is the earth. It's, it's what holds us, nourishes us supports us um, more connected mm. to the moon as well so there's there's bigger picture ideas which are not an endorsement of man case perspective these are more my personal views um, yeah, yeah. but that have helped me kind of find some find some answers find some truth mm. as well
0: and it sounds like these these ideas, in, in a way, overlap with, you know, if you've, if you've got a religious worldview, people are saying, well, God is telling us how to live like this and how we ought to live. You've got guys like Jesus, they say, you know, love your neighbor, connect in community, be kind, forgive. These are the things. And they'll say, well, the Bible tells us to do that. And in, in an interesting way, you're saying there is a pattern to the universe that I'm witnessing and I'm learning to listen to and learn from, whether that's nature, whether that's, you know, inside of me, the energy. It, feels, it sounds as if you're saying the energy or something. Inside of me wants to flow towards community. It wants to flow towards helping people, and I want to learn. It's almost as if you're saying that there is a way in which we are supposed to live, and that is in community, that is in connection, and you're trying to lean towards that. Which I think, for many friends of the show, religious or not, it's it's almost like a bit of an overlap with you know beyond the stereotypes of atheist v angry atheist v um, angry Christian. To circle back to this. Debate around gender, the changing roles of masculinity, and the the shifting tectonic plates. I'm still coming up for names for this next segment. Is it Let's Argue? Is it For Arguments' Sake? Is it The Pushback? I don't know. I'm going with Right Now For Arguments' Sake, and I wanted to really... He seems like a pretty level-headed, doesn't seem like a guy I can really bait in too much, but I really wanted to take what I learned from Will the right-hand side of the rabbit hole and I really just wanted to get a mad collision of what I think the the pushback and the arguments are going to come from the other side towards him and what he's doing and what he believes. So I really guys, I really did my best to make Matt engage with some of these arguments and I think I think I got there. The for argument's sake, right? This is this is the the flashpoint that as I was saying before is the line in the sand that creates political affiliation. This is the new line in the sand that will make you a Republican or a Democrat or Liberal or Labour or a Conservative or a Progressive, right? And so the 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 stereotype of the Conservative hears what you're saying. And they go, Well, yeah, clearly this guy values evolution. And I had friend of the show, Will on, and I'm hearing his voice in my head now, who he would say something to you like Listen, you value evolution, and evolution, all it is, is survival of the fittest, and if you follow that logic and process of thought, there's no inherent value to human beings. There's no inherent value to you, there's no inherent value to anyone else. And so, all that leads to is Hitler internment camps, because, you know, the weak got to die off, and the strong need to move forward. What's your response to someone who hears what you're saying, and that's what they're hearing?
1: Mm. Um, I think the most important thing for me, man, is like, there's, you can very quickly get down paths of division and, and mm-hmm. going left and right and right and wrong and Republican and conservative. And these ideas there, again, they're just ways of organizing ourselves, but it mm-hmm. ends up creating more division between us as humans. And so for me, like, I'm happy to play the game of, oh, I voted greens in the last election, but also doesn't mean that that's my only worldview. I, I have things from the Labour and Liberal Party that I connect with, and there's independents I connect with. Um, but it doesn't fit, it doesn't help us make sense of and organise the world. Um, so we like to box people in to make sense of who they are and therefore know how we can relate to them or not. Um, so I think, like, just like a broader meta reflection is how do we step out of this idea of having to create categories and binary options and create more of a spectrum? And in that, it's actually going to serve us. Because even that perspective is coming from a place of fear. Okay, how do, I, how do I make sense of the world so I can survive? As opposed to if mm-hmm. we flip it and it's coming from a place of love and expansion and creation, and then it goes, hey, how do we work together? I know you're on the opposite side of the fence, but maybe there's some stuff we have in common. You know, There was a great mm-hmm. Heineken ad that was done a few years ago. I um, don't know if you saw it, but they got two people that had very opposing views on certain topics and they got them to build a bar together. And then midway through them building this bar, they showed videos of them having very clear, distinct, opposing views on certain topics. And they invited them, and said, "You can chat and have a you can you can sit down and have a beer and have a chat, or you can part ways." And every every person they sat down, they had a chat because they had these human connections that that established outside of their perspectives on a certain topic that meant they wanted to actually connect with each other. So I think we need to come back to what it means to be human, and you know, to answer maybe your question with will is like. The, it really comes back down to me how do, how do you make people feel and how are you impacting the people around you? And how do we mm-hmm. recognize that? Yes, there are different religion and religions and cultures and different backgrounds. Um, but how do we not come from a scarcity mindset where if you get that and I don't get it, then I have to get it off you. Mm-hmm. How do we integrate more and say like the pie is not just going to get smaller. This is always going to keep growing. That takes a lot mm-hmm. of work though. It takes a lot of work to come from that perspective. Um, Mm. and I know the world is not always so bright and shiny and, and, you know, full of flowers. It's, it's, it can be Mm. tough, especially in other parts outside of Australia.
0: So, so knowing this topic is so controversial and when you're saying, what are these areas that, that people have in common, what are the, what are the fair critiques that you receive? You mentioned before, when we were talking, you were saying, we don't want to go too far, like society progresses and then the argument from one side might be like like that's too far we're we're destroying too much because it sounds like in what you're saying there is a there's a certain value to how we structure society and it's helped us in certain ways and then there could the, the critique is, well, this movement is destroying the very foundation that we're standing on. And if you are to look at that argument, what is going too far in this in this redefining gender roles, in this making room for other people? What's going too far in destroying the systems that have hurt other people and then destroying a system that serves a lot of other people?
1: Well, I think, you know, I think it's important to bring an intersectional lens into this as well, um, which I know is another academic term, but it's important. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Because um when we have we have gender but then we also have all the other intersections of identity that people connect with we have gender we have your cultural background we have you know is english your first language in australia or not um what's your what's your sexual preference you know how connected are you to the lgbtqia plus community what do you relate to in that um there are lots of people where their struggle is not actually their identity as a man or a woman or non-binary their struggle is i'm a first i'm a first nations person in australia i just immigrated here and i'm still trying to find my way there's an important to have an intersectional lens across this as well so we don't just um paint the gender brush really broadly but if we're going to stay speaking about gender within the context of this um i think going too far is that we end up creating more division and Mm -hmm. we end up creating more division between genders rather than us coming back together and there's again like in this process of evolution it's important we are going to have times where we go separate, but then you know how we how are we reintegrating, how are we coming back together with lessons we've learned, and then learning to live together again until the next thing happens and we have to go again. Um, I think it's it's really important that you know the for men, how do we make it really simple? It's just like let's challenge the stereotype by creating spaces where they feel safe to talk openly, mm. create healthy role models where. There's examples of what it looks like to be a man in this new age where you are being led by your heart. You are about service. Um, you are about contributing to and connecting to community, um, even protecting community, um, and then working together to create that as well. The, the biggest trap we can fall into is that we just other people in these camps and we don't have conversations and understand each other. And then we end up in all unhappy no one's sitting around the dinner table having a conversation with each other and there's more mm-hmm. division. So I think the main thing I would say in that is how can you actually seek to understand the perspective of someone else? How can we how can we be curious about their, their perspective? How can we, you know, rather than talk about doing the work, we actually do the work? And we mm-hmm. say, oh, that's a really interesting perspective. How hey, can I understand more about this? And I've especially seen this with Andrew Tate and with the young men that do connect with him and adults that are horrified that they do, you know, who have had a lot of parents come and ask us, how, how do I have this conversation? It's like, well, the first thing you need to do is go and actually watch some of his content and understand it. Secondly, understand what you enjoy about it what you don't enjoy about it. And then thirdly, when you do go and have the conversation with that young man, create the space where there's, you're seeking to understand, you're curious, you're interested, you're not trying to find him out and then catch him out and then get him in trouble. It's not going to feel safe from that space. He's going to be more protective. So, mm. and I know it's coming back to like some basic fundamentals we've already spoken about, but for me it is about creating that safe space and it is about talking openly and mm. it's as much about having the conversation if not more than it is about trying to get to an answer
0: what if what if you're just creating weak effeminate men that are to be shamed for their you know they just evolved this way Matt. they we've we've evolved as men to just you know enjoy good looking women enjoy meat to just be strong you know we, we're not emotional what if, what if what you're doing is just creating weak men who are ashamed of the the things that they can't help about themselves as men
1: mm. well what what's the issue with that what do you see with that
0: this this is the problem is that men are now lost because now they're being like creating shame in someone is never good. And now they're being shamed for like but you you can't be who you truly are. So in you trying to say, hey, I'm trying to create space for more people, you're actually potentially shutting down men who just want to express how they express. They can't help it. There's, there's nothing innately wrong with what they're doing. But now – we've created a society where everything's wrong where everything's censored where we have to you know tiptoe around every single issue I can't be honest I can't say what I think anymore you're talking about an intersectional lens mate to me that just sounds like oh we're just pandering to everybody now we've got to please everybody I, I can't I can't walk down the street because oh I have to apologize for being a white man now what's your response to to that I don't, well one have you received that and two what's your response
1: yeah, I mean, I'm working in this space for a few years now. It's, it's been a really important thing to own, is to own the background that I've come from and the privileges that I've been afforded because of the family I was born into and also because of what I look like. Um, so I think it's important not to be naive to that. Um, to answer your question, I think the number one, one of the things that I come back to with this is what's the impact I'm having on other people? And what's the impact I'm having on the people around me? And this is why I said this before, we can't we can't go towards a perspective of, I'm not going to hurt or kill anyone because then none of us win. There's always going to be someone that is unhappy in the the equation and to go that way is, is, is not going to help us. Um, But what is the impact that I'm having on people around me? And am I realizing my full potential? Am I being my full and true authentic self? And then when I get called in or I get a blind spot shown to me, I get, you know, maybe feedback that doesn't land because it threatens my identity, my sense of self, who I am, who I've created how are you going to show up in that moment? Are you going to show up and say, stuff you, I don't care. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not interested in this conversation. Or are you going to say, hey, thanks for that. Like, And it doesn't mean you have to take on the feedback, but it's just you know how you're relating to other people in a way that allows you to be your true authentic self and then support others to be their true authentic self and then to improve the relationships we have with each other. So I think to an extent to what you've said around creating feminine men, there is some truth to that. We have, yeah. we have got some truth to that in terms of post-World War II again, we had a lot of men go off to war and then we had a lot of women looking after and raising children and families after that. We also have a lot of female teachers in the education system in the Western world because of the wars and different um, decisions that have been made around the stereotypes of what we should be doing as men in society, e.g. maybe it's not okay to be a teacher. I'm not saying that's a fact or statistically backed up, just a, a concept. Um, and so we've then got a generation of young men or men that are going, okay, well, I need to, I need to fit. I need to make sure the women in my life are happy, but then the irony of this is that they're getting disconnected in some ways from their masculinity. And I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. It's just kind of what's happening. So then the question is like, how do we evolve? What, What comes next? And I think what comes next is us not making masculinity wrong. How do we connect men back to their masculinity in a way that is healthy and is not trying to dominate or be in control? or coming from a sense of entitlement, which is where it has previously come from. And that has led to more, 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 always needing more, needing to dominate and be in control more, including women, which has impacted them and impacted us because we're not deeply satisfied or satiated. And then for women, it's how do they connect back to their femininity as well? You know, wanting to be in a place of surrender, following intuition, being wanting to be supported so they can have a family if that's something they want, and then putting trust back into men. And the only way we can move forward is if we keep having the conversation around and relating differently and trusting ourselves and then seeing what the next bit is because none of us know the answer. Like I'm deep in doing this work with young men. I'm deep in doing this work with myself and I can tell you we're still trying to work it out and that's probably going to be how it always is. But right now we're going through a particularly tumultuous period where it's a bit more gray. Hmm. So
0: what do you say to men when you say, okay, you're, you're you're talking about this intersectional lens being aware of different people where they come from trying to include them in a society where everyone has a role but then what do you say to the men that seem to be saying right now Matt this progress is hurting me Matt this progress is making me feel uncomfortable this 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 million genders, as they'll they'll say, this this shifting landscapes of of I don't know what to believe now. This this is now hurting me. Um, the men's rights activist groups will say now it's harder for men to get access to their kids because of stereotypes. Now the domestic violence stereotypes is that if a man's getting abused, which is prevalent, can happen again. Now men are being kind of the in order to get equality, they'll be saying, you're stacking the deck against men now. And a lot of these men are putting their head up saying, well, now I'm being hurt. Why don't you care about me anymore, Matt, whilst you're caring about the intersectional people?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think I'll I'll come back to one or two things. Firstly, that um, equality to the privilege can feel like oppression, um, which is that in many ways that we've been very lucky for many years, many generations to be in a really privileged place as men. So we are losing
0: something in a, in a sense. Being a straight white dude, you're saying – you, you, say, you would look at them and say, hey, hey, yeah, you are losing something because you're a few pegs higher than everyone else at the moment and we're just going to bring them up but that might feel like you're going down. Is that what you're saying?
1: That's how it can feel, yes. Right. And um, I think it's important that you know, maybe that is the case. You know? And there are some edgy conversations and we're in the middle of an edgy conversation with this why should someone get a promotion ahead of me because of a quota? Right. Is, is, that a, is that a concept that feels uh, fair? Well, how about the fact that you were able to go to university and get more get more qualifications and get into a better job because of your family connections? And then that's put you ahead of someone else that maybe hasn't had those same privileges. The challenge we get to in this is eventually it's a zero-sum game. You know, mm-hmm. If we're talking about... Uh, me competing with you, and what about me? And where, where does everything come from for myself? And why do I have to give something up? You know, the energy of that is not is not a positive one. And I can totally understand where men are coming from with that. And I've had to work through it myself as well. Uh, the the thing I would say to someone that's coming to me with that perspective is obviously some need of theirs is not being met. Obviously they're frustrated because they're not getting the outcome they want. And I would actually create a space to say. Hey, how are you feeling about this? And the answer is they probably say, I'm feeling angry. Okay. Well, what, what part of you is feeling angry? Why are you feeling, what are you feeling angry about? Well, I have to give up something that I think is mine or I'm angry because I worked hard for this and I'm not getting results. And I'd say to them, fair enough, because all of us as humans are just doing our best. Uh, so a lot of it comes back to, I think, really this concept of how do you love yourself no matter what the outcome and recognizing that, yeah, you do want to achieve, you do want to grow, you do want to evolve. You do want to get a good job and, you know, be in a place where you're respected in society, whatever it is. Um, But getting stuck in this competition mindset this fear mindset. It's just not going to get us forwards. And I think you're right. I think there are, there are some men out there that are pretty angry, which is where a lot of these um, groups are coming from. And That's why I think there is a correction process we need to go through to make sure that everyone still feels like they're in the right place. But there's so many buts in this because it's just filled with paradox. Um, Hmm. Yeah, in the end, both sides are right in some way.
0: It's, you've, you've done a good job at pointing at the doorways of, very, of the many very complicated public policy or societal conversations that need to happen around if we can agree that this is a problem for this group of people, what do we do about it? Can we put up with, um, you know in a sense reverse discrimination in order to level the playing field or these are thorny difficult conversations probably each with 10 podcasts or 100 of their own it sounds what I'm hearing is that as I bring to you this debate and go come on like pick a side like like let's let's engage in this like it's a it's a it's a it's a win-lose and you've excavated that and it's almost what I'm hearing is this kind of debate as we enter into it on the on the mainstream what tv news we're watching the way it's presented to us is in this frame of it's this group versus this group and as we engage in that we're now going well what group am I a part of okay I'm a part of the straight white dudes group and we're losing something so let's go to let's go to fight for our rights and then the other because we've been oppressed for decades this is not fair we're going to fight for our rights and it sounds like you're saying You know, there are conversations to be had in all of those spaces, but perhaps there's an underlying something that you can come at it from something underneath this debate and we can go, well, how do we all benefit? Like, what are the ways in which we all benefit if we can level the playing field in certain ways? And it sounds like how you enter this debate is, and I think you modeled it quite well in that sense of going, okay, this is the angle you're coming from. Let me listen and understand what's underneath that because it sounds like you believe there's always something underneath. Even if the conversation is important, it sounds like you're saying there's always something underneath that debate. The man that comes to you and says, this is not fair, I am getting oppressed. Sounds like you're saying, tell me more about that. What are you losing? How's your life? You're bringing the human into that discussion to give it more color and more understanding and maybe if we address what's going on at the lowest level which you believe there's something going on then these top levels of polarized tribal debate may be
1: easier to resolve you're really good at summing things up (laughs) no (laughs)
0: yes
1: yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think so i think i mean uh, i think i'll i'll agree with you and also say and it's not the it's not the whole answer um, you know, right. there is, there. there's, yes, at the bottom level, there is something, you know, all of us are trying to get our needs met as humans, all of us are trying to find love, belonging, connection, purpose, all the, all the stuff that we all want, we all want it across the world. Um, and that's also not to dismiss the structural implications or the policy implications or the economic implications mm-hmm. or changes that also happen that do dramatically affect people's lives on all sides mm-hmm. as well. So I think, you know, what I really witnessed, and maybe this is again a bit more philosophical, it's just how much we come from a place of division and fear, and how, how often we don't come from a place of understanding, love, trying to understand the other person, um, which I've already said that. But, you know, yeah. that, that actually like trying to connect to our experience and recognizing we're all going through this. Um, and yeah, mm-hmm. you do have a right to have goals and, and wanting to achieve in your life. And that might not always work out as well. So I guess final
0: defense, you did your studies in gender. Yeah. Defend defend the gendered lens then. Defend the intersectional lens. These are words that are now being, you know, words can become politicized to become tribal markers. And now gender is becoming a tribal marker. Like abortion is a tribal marker. Um, gay marriage is a tribal marker. And now gender is becoming a tribal marker. But anything else like now critical race theory, this random abstract academic ivory tower concept is becoming a tribal marker. And so I guess defend to me the use of using a gendered lens to look at these sorts of things as you're doing your studies through the lens of gender. Defend that process to me, someone who might not understand it and go, because to me it could sound like you're looking at it through gender Mate, that's creating the division. Now you're looking at this issue through man and woman. And now it's a human issue, isn't it? Like, why are you using the intersectional lens or the gendered lens to look at these issues? Aren't we all just humans?
1: Yeah, I think as with anything, it's a paradoxical answer. So...
0: If you would like to hear the rest of that conversation, oh, God, don't do it to me. I'm going to do it. You can head to artistdigest.org and sign up support the show because your support keeps me going. Thank you. Uh, But anyway... What do I wish I asked? You know, I edit the interviews back and I go, oh, damn it, I missed that question. And a few questions I wish I'd asked was, what the hell do you mean by rites of passage for young men? Is he in a school (laughs) lighting coals on fire going, come on, mate, you got to be a man, run across the coals. I don't know what that means. So I wish I asked him that. I can, I might do some digging for the super friends and find out exactly what he does to I guess help boys become men obviously part of that he explored was these conversations normalizing emotions normalizing having hard conversations that are normally frowned upon if you're a boy in school I mean I sure was and you know he you, you could relate to the idea of you armoring up you got to be really you got to be tough you, if someone's like having a go at you you've got to navigate that situation really well you can end up you know kind of always being bullied I think many guys can relate to that so I wish I asked about that and I wish I got more of a def- definition of what it means to be a man. I'll be honest, he stumped me really well when I said, you're just trying to make weak men. And he goes, well, why is that a bad thing? I was like, no, that's not how this works. I ask you questions, but I wish I pushed him and said, well, what do you think makes a real man, a real men more feminine? Is that, is that what you're really saying? It does seem like he's saying there should be room for that. And if feminine is being defined as connecting with others, being honest about your feelings... And things like that, then maybe, maybe, I don't know. So I wish I asked a bit more about that. Now, if you have any questions that you think I should have asked, send them through because I can't get them all. Damn it. They're not like Pokemon. I can't catch them all. Uh, But you can help me do that. What do I understand now from this conversation moving forward? I jotted a few notes as I was editing. I thought something that stood out to me as I was excavating his worldview his view on evolution was very interesting in contrasting, obviously, background of this show. Talked to many Christians, deconstructed Christians, fundamentalist Christians. There's always that. That split in ideas around creation, a God created this thing, and then there is evolution, and evolution's always evil. Will gave a strong denunciation of evolution, essentially saying it leads to Hitler because there's no inherent value in the human being. Interesting perspective. Whereas when I talked to Matt, who is an atheist, but also likes star signs, which I thought was interesting, he's saying he somehow led to more compassion and more wanting to spend his life helping people doing something of meaning from his atheistic world view. So interesting to listen to those two episodes and contrast the two men and their approaches and how, I suppose, I got out of Will what he how he sees people like Matt, but I really couldn't squeeze out of Matt how he sees those people. I guess maybe... Maybe if I'm to extrapolate what I think I heard from him, it sounds like he's saying they're angry about something and we should listen to them. We should have compassion. There's something going on. It sounds like he doesn't view them necessarily as an enemy, just people responding to things and being angry about something. And we shouldn't divide over. We should, you know, try and understand a little bit more. He's being very Ideas Digest about it all. Annoying, isn't it? They're annoying. I want him to just, you know, be blunt. Give me some clickbait to serve up and say, put on the altar of the algorithm so that we can get some views and clicks. Uh, but he didn't provide me with any such easy content. So, I mean, well done, Matt. He does admit something that I haven't heard in this conversation as I've been researching it. He admits that these changes around gender and society and roles of men and women are big changes. I hear a lot of in the conversation being like, "Well, what, what's the harm? Who cares if, if who cares if people want to identify as they, them, he, he, she, uh, transition or like, who cares? There's not. A, it's it's got nothing to do with you. Just shut up about it." And it was interesting that he kind of said, "No, no, these these changes are really big because there's something, I guess, impacting how men see themselves as society shifts to make room for different groups of people." And it was interesting to hear him admit these are big changes and I can potentially understand some of that anger that I presented to him. So that was, that was interesting. And I noticed a lot of crossover with some of the diagnosis of the problem in society around masculinity. They both referenced World War II as some inflection point. Uh, They both go into different directions. One going, let's, so Will was kind of saying, let's go back to the past. Let's go back in time and wind back and put women back in the kitchen, put women take the rights that the women got and take them back and then we'll be back to the status quo that we desperately need whereas the the view from, from Matt which embraces this view of evolution so the two the two worldviews that contrast one is evolution is evil at least to you being Hitler, but then how Matt sees it is no, no evolution is inevitable and we have to move forward and progress and how do we manage these things and evolution can be good. We just have to work out how we can move with these changes because these changes he said are inevitable and potentially probably really helpful for certain groups of people. So we need to embrace change. So it's the different postures of being a change, which fits the stereotypes of being probably the classical conservative that, that, finds change very threatening to the status quo and wants to go back and the progressive that goes no change is inevitable we need to move that forward so let's let's embrace it and keep going forward so classic stereotypical divergence of opinions there. I thought Matt came across very compassionate. I don't know about you. Tell me what you reckon. And he didn't, this was interesting, he didn't strike me as the stereotypical lefty that I could have thrown at him at the beginning, being like, you're just a cancel culture lefty. Oh, you can't say that. You can't say this. I'm going to cancel you. I'm going to weaponize anything you say and make you lose your job or something like that. He didn't come across to me like that. But in the end, what is my problem with Matt's ideas? Well, I will tell the super friends of the show. So thanks everyone for listening to another episode of the Ideas Digest podcast. If you have any show suggestions, IdeasDigest at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram where I have posted this, I guess, this Andrew Tate conspiracy board where I'm mapping these ideas, where they go. And I've come up with some like common ground where where these two groups actually agree on some things. And it's more than I would have suspected. So You can head to Instagram, check it out, or you can head to itisdose.org and check out the full in-depth and take a look at some of my research notes that I've been digging into to just try and work out what the hell is going on with Andrew Tate and the ideas behind him. So thanks for tuning in, everybody, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Super friends, what is my problem with Matt and his ideas? I'll be honest. Thank you so much for coming on the Ida's Digest podcast. Uh, where can people find what you're up to, what you're doing, what you're a part of, Man Cave, et cetera?
1: Yeah, thanks, dude. Thanks for having me on. And um, that was that was a marathon. Um, yeah. A marathon not in the, the length, but certainly in terms of the conversation. Um, you can find the Man Cave um, online at the mancave underscore AU. Um, We'd love your support on there on Instagram and Facebook. Um, also, there's a hygiene brand called Stuff, which is – a brand we created to help fund boys through programs We sell it online and through Woolworths if you're in Australia. Um, so if you want to support Man Cave, buy stuff at Website of Stuff. And then you can also find me on Instagram at maddied 203 um, posting stuff on there all the time about Man Cave and also my personal journey as well.